Hi, this is Emily White, and you are listening to How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Um, so today we are delving into chapter one of uh, said book, How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. And, you know, the first chapter is called Get Your Art Together, which, to be honest, I hesitated on writing that chapter because it felt so obvious to me. Um, you know, I truly believe that any artist who makes great art <laughs> can be successful, um, but you have to do chapter one. And I was surprised when I taught from the rough draft of this book at NYU last year um, how many of my students resonated with the the title of this chapter. I mean, literally feedback was like, get your art together. I'm never going to forget that. And again, to me, like what connects with any other human, you know, also known as fans, um, is is being genuine and, and making the art that is true to your heart and, and spirit and soul. And, you know, maybe this also stands out to me because I have artists in non-pandemic times and, and pandemic times emailing, um, but coming up to me at conferences normally, you know, wanting to share music. And I, I totally get that enthusiasm, but there's almost often a you know, some sort of caveat like, oh, but I really need to work on my vocals or um, I need a new drummer. Um, so my point is before you move on to further chapters, which I think it can be easy to do, right, to get ahead of ourselves and um, I guess think about the fun parts, but hopefully you think making music is fun. Um, you know, you, you, you can't move on to the, the other levels without chapter one. Um, get your art together. And, you know, something I love about the modern music industry is that, you know, anyone with access to, you know, a computer, even a smartphone, um, and, and some sort of internet can record and distribute worldwide. Um, but that's even more reason why you have to <laughs> get your art together, right? Because there's that many more people making music. And so um, you can build a sustainable you know, career for the long term, but the art has to be great before you move on to these other steps. Um, notice I did not use the word competition because I don't think music or art should be competitive. Um, there's enough fans and uh, there's enough fans for every, you know, there are enough fans for everyone. Um, but yeah, you have to make the art um, that's true to your soul uh, to connect with people. And only you know, you know, when that is. So Last year, uh, I was teaching uh, artist management at NYU, and I was really shocked by how many, how many of my students thought that they had to get signed, quote unquote, to record and distribute. Um, again, like what broke the modern music industry wide open was the technology to record and distribute. And so I was really shocked to hear these students say this. And, um, you know... When talking about guest speakers for class, I was like, look, like you're going to get to know people in my world and, and in my life and stuff. So I want to know like what you all think is interesting. Like think about an artist that um, you think is doing something interesting and maybe think, think about or research if there's, you know, a, an industry person or manager or something uh, working with them to make that happen. And 
Um, I was really pleased to see uh, Justin Vernon or someone from Bonavere's management uh, top uh, that they topped our poll because, um, you know, I said to the students, I'm like, Justin's story, I think, is so relevant to the questions you all are asking and some of the knowledge they don't have that maybe I take for granted um, that I have no problem asking um, his management, if, if we can speak with the artist. Um, I mean, I'd like to speak with, um, Justin's great managers as well. Um, I, I knew that could probably happen, but, um, yeah, Josh was kind enough to, um, make this happen, which was really a, a once in a lifetime opportunity for all of us, um, let alone these, these young music and, and music industry students. So, um, yeah, similar to the forward episode with Zoe Keating, uh, I did not plan on releasing this recording uh, you're about to listen to. I, I did kind of a crappy voice memo, to be honest, um, just on my iPhone to give myself feedback. I was planning on deleting it after. But um, when I was listening to the interview, um, when I was listening back to the interview, I realized that Justin completely brought chapter one to life. Um which again is called get your art together. Um, You know, he says in this interview, which I want to name this episode, um, the greatest promo was the art itself. And that's what I was trying to convey to these students and and as many of the things that I'm uh, conveying in this book, which is, it's just like, again, if the art isn't great, it doesn't matter who your publicist is. It doesn't, doesn't even matter who your team is, you know, and I, I love industry people. I, you know, I am one. Um, but I've seen it happen over and over, you know, with artists that have like the right agent and the right publicist and the right label and the right everything and literally nothing happens. So I've spent my career figuring out how and why things do happen. (laughs) And again, to me, that starts with great art and and connecting with fans directly. So, um, I'll, I'll wrap up, um, and then just let, uh, the conversation, uh, take it over from here. But again, uh, this interview was, was taped, uh, pre COVID. Um, the audio quality isn't always perfect because I didn't plan on releasing it. Um, but thank you to Josh and Justin, um, for allowing me to, because like I said, it just fit, um, chapter one of this book and podcasts, uh, more perfectly than I ever could have imagined. So, um, yeah, just a few quotes I, I want to pull out and kind of themes, uh, you know, and some themes that Justin talks about, you know, so hopefully it makes sense to you. Um, I just loved, again, you know, with the theme of um, getting one's art together, um, you know, he says that he made something that he needed to make, you know, that that was in him um, and, and that he was cultivating what he was, uh, you know, or who he was more so than, you know, trying to fit in or or get noticed and and doing it for the purest reasons. And again, that's something that I cannot try to instill more into students um, and, and to anyone listening to this, right? Like I hear so, so often from artists like, Oh, I think this is right for this label or that label. And I, I may have said it on the previous episode and it's like, did you write it? You know, did you write this music? for this label or, you know, for other people or or for yourself. Um, You know, and and Justin says somehow, uh, and this is actually more um, when uh, he, you know, his music was posted to MySpace 
And my old Kentucky blog picked it up and then more and more people were checking it out and all these label offers were coming in. I, I am really obsessed with the power of intuition. Um, whenever I don't listen to mine, uh, the point is the intuition is always right. <laughs> so he says, somehow deep inside, I knew to pay attention to my to my intuition. That intuition was the thing that kind of got me to be in that position in the first place. Um, and he talks about his uh, first manager, Kyle Frenette, saying, you know, with the label offers, like, don't do it. Just chill until you know it's right and listen to your intuition. Um Kyle and I are probably about the same age. He may be a little bit younger than me. Uh, those are wise words <laughs> from a from a from a young manager uh, with with one of his first clients, who's you know one of the biggest artists in the world. Um, but again, I, I just love how Justin talks about you know being genuine, being yourself. Um, again, with the label stuff, just saying so glad I waited, so glad I was patient. It's important to take your time. Um, you know, and, and talks about breaking through into being himself. Um, he talks about, you know, still being in love with music after all these years on technology and music. And uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll let Justin and, and the students in this previously recorded conversation take it from here. Um, but I hope you enjoy chapter one, Get Your Art Together with Justin Vernon, also known as The Greatest Promo Was the Art Itself. Thanks so much. And thank you, Matthew Wong, um, for your amazing podcast music. Enjoy Justin Vernon. Um, so we'll just dig in. Absolutely. Yeah, please. Thanks for, for having me. Um, so tell us about your creative process, which is kind of generic, but I mean, the question is generic. But I hear from students and artists all of the time. Um, who often create what they think a label or an audience wants to hear um, instead of making art that's true to their soul. So how do you know when your art is ready yeah. and when you're really ripe to record? Excellent question. I started writing songs when I was 12. Like It's just like clearly an interest that I had. And, uh, uh, you know, it was very... Everything was sort of derivative for a while, as everything kind of is. Nobody, like pops out of the woods like raised by wolves with like some immense talent or <laughs> context for making art right so that was kind of the way it was like from 12 to 26 you know where you just like I always look back and you hear my music and I guess it sounded like post Hootie and post Dave Matthews and like <laughs> kind of not exactly great um, but I think I mean honestly I think once I got into college I started to feel like I wanted to have music be my career so bad that I think I was leaning a little too hard into like, well, what can get me on the coffee shop circuit? Like I was, I, I would go to like Borders and buy like the indie music Bible. It's like, I'm going to book a tour, which I never did. I had no idea how to do that. And that's not really how it kind of works. And so uh, at a certain point, I left my town that I grew up in and then went to college in is a very important situation and went to North Carolina with like my my best friends and my bandmates who you know we studied music together you know we didn't go to the same music school or anything I didn't even go to the music college but we went there together and we just like dug in and started over and I think that's probably the, most certainly the number one most important thing I ever did was just like a massive start over completely renewal completely guillotine the past 
and started again. And we, you know, we just worked. We weren't trying to necessarily, I guess we were, were trying to get a career going, but we didn't move to New York. We moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, which was like the craziest thing we could imagine doing, you know, New York or LA, none, Nashville. None of that was like, seemed possible for like the small town people we were. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To, answer, to, to try to answer your question, like my process and when did I know the art was ready is, is literally that, that year I just worked and worked, we worked and worked and worked and we went through a breakup because we started diverting because we had become more and more individual and uh, that's quite literally when I started recording the first, what would become the first Bon Iver album and I just knew that it was, I kind of quit, I kind of relented to not having a job in music and like I was I kind of like come home and was going to go back to college and like get a music teaching thing and um, it was right then when I got my first call to go play guitar in this band called The Rose Buzz which is my first real touring gig ever and first chance I'd ever produced anything and um, and it was on that tour that like uh, MySpace somebody on MySpace like heard my shit and like started getting offers for a deal you know what I mean it was just that simple and it's like such a metaphor to me and it and of course I don't think it would, would happen again really that that simply but like literally giving up deciding that it's like something that I shouldn't try so hard to get and just make something that I needed to make that was like in me already rather than you know like there's more like cultivating what, what I am rather than like or what can I what can I do to like fit in or like get noticed, um, and that that's something you kind of can't like teach or like plan on. I don't know, you know, but it is the truth. It wasn't like a it wasn't ever going to happen until you give up and you, you're doing it for the purest reasons. I guess absolutely. Um, before we jump into a student question, mm-hmm. you didn't take any of those deals, right? From the MySpace, not not, ori- not originally, but I started fielding them, uh, and then like even somebody, this the, the drummer who's in the band now, his older brother is Mac McCon, who runs Merge Records, which is one of the greatest indie records. And I was like, how am I, how am I saying no to this? I was like so excited to have. I mean, I'm getting offered yeah. ten thousand dollars to to get paid back for all this hard work that I've done in my whole life. I'm just like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. But somehow, like, deep inside, I, I knew to, like, pay attention to my intuition. The thing that had kind of, that intuition was the thing that had got me to be in that position in the first place, and I just knew. And so I kind of waited around a little bit and fielded a lot of stuff. And uh, Kyle, who, who uh, me and Josh worked with for at least 10 years, um, was just also just this 19 year old kid was just like don't do it like mm-hmm. just chill uh, which is like the greatest thing the greatest advice it's like don't do the thing you think you might need to do sort of um, 
until you know what's right and listen to your intuition. So uh, eventually I did say yes to, to Jake Jaguar uh, because I felt like they, I didn't recognize them and they were on the map, but definitely I felt like it was cool to want to grow with an organization rather than like, felt like I merged. Not that I had these aspirations to be the biggest thing, but like merge was like at arcade fire. And it's like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to follow. Um, I didn't want to follow anybody else's map. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was all accidental. And, and what was so interesting, like I can, I can observe from even, even being me can observe from like a, a side perspective that I, I had stopped asking that question. Like what's going to get me the job? Uh, what's going to get me to live the life I want to live? Um, and that's just like life advice in general. Um, it's not really about evaluating the vision that you have for your future. It's about trying to be as present as possible. And it sounds hallmarky, but it's so true. And so for me, I, I got to be shown the lesson without having much suffering. I mean, I had suffering until that point of like, God, I want this so bad. I want this so bad. Um, but I just made, I mean, when I did the, the first Point of Air album, didn't have a name for it. I just like uh, made it and was mixing it in the car and on you know, those for my first tour at the Rosebuds and I was just like, I just think this is good. And but I I had no I didn't I sort of had this feeling like it was the best thing I'd ever done by like a long <laughs> shot. But I but I had no idea. You know what I mean? Uh, and it was just right in line with everything I'd done up to that point. But it was just truly like my my breakthrough. And and I think that, it, that audiences and, and markets are markets. You could definitely like make something up that's going to sound good to people. They literally have AI robots. I'm sure you've heard about like making pop songs. Mm-hmm. I'm here for that too. That's fine. I want to dance and hear poppy things and like there is formulas that work. But um, the thing, the thing that I learned is just like, huh. So the thing that you naturally do yourself with the least amount of impedance from from those questions of how I get there is really is really the best thing in it and it's your individual qualities that make you the most it's the most you nobody's like you um, you know so that makes sense um, so although you topped our student poll of three <laughs> guest speakers um, not everyone was necessarily aware of kind of how 4M broke through mm-hmm. um, to be fair some of you guys were like 10 so i know i'm sure you've talked about this a lot but can you can you tell us about self-releasing that album and and how it kind of spread from there before you resigned i see yeah well that's what we'd always done you know like cd baby which we still have some albums on uh but that's just how it was you know like i was a huge fan of of avani defranco and and just like truly people that didn't give a shit and, and were just doing things on their own and and not having to sign up to be somebody and to, to do it on your own. And so, I mean, I think I decided to self-release. I mean, this all happened in a very short period of time. I finished, you know, I was in North Carolina and not that it feels very important, but I just a timeline, you know. I was in North Carolina for a year, practiced we did so much musical development as a band. We broke up. I produced one record for the Rosebuds, went to the cabin, took what I had started, 
finished it and started mixing it in May. So like there was the winter that I was coming up with my dad's cabin. And, and then by May I was on tour and put my shit on MySpace and it was mixed. And I mastered it with a friend for 125 bucks down in North Carolina. And then July, I had already printed up the 500 original CDs and did a CD release show in my hometown of Eau Claire, which is what I had always done prior to that with my bands and, and everything since I was like 16, whatever, like got to make a CD. Um, and, and so that, that was just like what I assumed I would do. You know what I mean? And by that time, um, Probably it was about some point that summer when I was still on tour with, with the Rosebuds. There's some some point my old Kentucky blog when blogs were still powerful. Um, they I started just getting calls from booking agents like it was insane. It was literally like pouring in. Um, so I was planning on just doing it on my own. And I kind of like for a while, but then at a certain point I was like, oh, well, this is happening. Yeah. This is happening, and and I cultivated enough options. Um, I remember I almost signed a deal with this, I think it's a now defunct label called Misra. Um, really nice people, but I'm just so glad I waited. So glad I was patient. You know, it was just only a couple months, you know? Um, but yeah, so though I sold out of those, those CDs by that, by that fall. And then, you know, I guess we were looking at, at re-releasing it by that next February. So it all took place in a pretty relatively short amount of time. But when you're in it and you're like, Oh my God, my life is depending on this. It's like so important to take your time. How did, do you know how the music got to my old Kentucky block? MySpace? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. MySpace, maybe. So no publicist or anything? Jesus, yeah. no. Yeah, I mean, I, it was just like a, I don't know how many 500, I know, like, my friend Brian, who I still play in other bands with, his girlfriend's mom at the time did the d- design, and we printed them on cardboard, and my mom and dad and I folded them and put the CDs in there, and... That was it. That, there was nothing. There's no. I didn't know what a publicist was. Honestly, mm-hmm. still kind of don't. <laughs> you have a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <good. laughs> so, how have your releases, and by release I mean like releasing music, um, evolved now that you've broken through? Um, is it st- still word of mouth? Does promo break the artists, or do fans break the artists? Um, what's worked for you besides make, making incredible art? And letting it spread from there. Hmm. I'm very grateful for the spot I'm in. But I think the greatest promo was the art itself. And any time that I did the promo, it, it I don't regret anything, but I almost regret I almost regret and, and and really want to like warn folks that would, might end up in a position like mine of the attention because I had no I had no tools to deal with that. Now I've been able to luckily navigate within my natural situation to to not continually be recognizable or as much as possible and. But like the first time that I did my first promo tour, I didn't realize that at the time, but I was like dying. Mm-hmm. I was like the first time I'd ever experienced exhaustion or uh, uh, anxiety. It's because you're sitting there and you're talking about yourself for so long. And I just, I just don't know. 
I, you know, I might not be the best person to ask because it did feel like it was taking years off my life, but I just don't know how worth it all is. Certainly worth it to, to share your story with people that are willing to turn around and share, additionally share your story to try to, I mean, I did it because I thought I wanted people to hear my music and I liked it. I liked my music, you know, like I wanted other people to, to hear it and, uh, and like it too. Um, but really felt like my soul was starting to be taken from me a little bit. Uh, and I, and so I don't, I just think that I remember with, with not very much promo, we sold 4,500 copies of the album in the first week. And that was before streaming, you know, like, and I was like, holy fuck, you know, like that is so much that's cool with me. And then every week, and then I do a little bit of promo and I was like, Oh wow. The numbers keep going up. And I was like, well, I better keep doing this. And at a certain point, at a certain point, it was kind of harder than it was worth it. I was lost and I didn't have my, my happiness or my safety, mm-hmm. I guess. So again, don't, I don't regret anything exactly, but it, I got real close to not being okay. Yeah. And so, and the other thing is that's so important is that like, the music's what got those people to come at me. It wasn't my marketability. It wasn't like the picture I put on the MySpace, certainly. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wasn't any of those things. And when you when you start playing those games, you it, it can be really, you can be playing with fire a little bit and, and you can end up going down roads that are pretty impossible to turn around from. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's a piece of advice you wish you could give your younger self? Like, as you were, like, I'm 21. Like, mm-hmm. what would you say to 21-year-old Justin entering the music industry? Mm-hmm. Well, at 21, uh, I would have probably told myself to uh, leave Eau Claire. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's hard because nobody's the same. But, it, it, you know, I guess what I was just talking about is probably, uh, not to just go back on what I was saying, but it, it, that's it, man. It's like, don't want it too bad because your life is worth it anyways. You know, like like the value of, of who you are as a human being is not going to be defined by whether or not you you ever become recognized. But it's every single day I'm able to remember that I value myself as what I've worked for, as the skills of my craft. And I don't. I've never. I've never let the accolades get to me and I've never let the negative shit get to me uh, I'm lucky for that I've had good parents and good friends that's the most important shit I'd say if that makes any sense so thank you so much you're welcome um, so these students go to school in the most expensive city in the US maybe yep. San Francisco has us beat but you get the idea mm-hmm. um, they've asked me if um, they or anyone has to be in New York or LA um, to have a career and when this question comes up before we were even going to talk to you I, I tell them about Kyle 
Because mm-hmm. I met Kyle at South by Southwest in like 2008. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm from Wisconsin. And I don't know how this we started talking, but his mortgage or rent for a home in northern Wisconsin was $200 a month. Mm-hmm. And I knew at the time that you could get a good room in Milwaukee or Madison for like $500. Yep. Is anyone here paying $500 in rent? I know this was 10 years ago. Um, uh-huh. And I actually had a similar experience. <laughs> I had a similar experience. I had a meeting with Rob Chalice in the UK around that time about 10 years ago. And, and so this is your booking agent in, in the UK. And he's like, I'm going to northern Wisconsin. And all these industry people are coming. And I'm like, wow, I've never heard that yeah, in my career. That's yeah. awesome. Like, yeah. um, so does one have to be in New York, L.A., Nashville to have a career? No. There are things that happen. There, I would be lying to you. Like, I love where I'm from. I also despise where I'm from because of, of how tight and the lid is on the shit back home. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to break through. I had to leave. People are always like, oh, it's so cool that you're from Wisconsin. You always stay there. It's like, no, 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 no. I left yeah. because we were never going to grow more. So every place has its limitations. You know what I mean? And, like, there's just more shit going on here. There's more people to meet. There's more influences. But more is not always better. And more is not actually always more. You know, like isolation or solitude. These are very undervalued things, you know, in, especially when there's business involved. Um, but when you're in the business of art, there's all sorts of things that are ignored constantly. Um, and that's the fun part, because when you, when you first get, I feel like when you first get, like, the first piece of yarn that you can pull at, and you're like, wait a second, this isn't necessarily about business, this is about being individual and being able to kind of stand up against the patterns that they kind of, that, that are there, that are like, well, don't, don't. That's how that goes. No, I don't. That's not going to work if you do that. It's like that's literally how patterns get broke, and that's literally how you get careers like this. I guess like every time, yeah. it's like you have to you you be different and you be yourself and and you stand out against the crowd kind of thing. So it's there's a lot of value in like being able to afford your rent, um, and the, the, there's also a lot of value in like seeing things and seeing weird things happen, but. More than ever, and I think this has probably happened during our lifetime, I don't necessarily think this is always the case, I don't necessarily even think it's just because of the internet or anything like that, there are insane revolutions happening in towns that I'll never know about, that we'll never know about, little towns, like communities. Like my little town, I had an insane group of friends that were insanely talented musicians. And we grew up together, and we got better and better and better we discovered and worked and studied music quite literally together, um, loved music together. And that's really what it is. It's like surrounding yourself with people that love you for who you are and also like are interested, deeply interested in the same things you're deeply interested in. That's, that's more important than where you live. Amazing. Um, Olivia? Yeah. Um, hey, Olivia, how's it going? Um, my question is kind of about, you know, you were talking about the importance of solitude and kind of the process of the first record, but then how did that kind of grow and evolve into the more collective atmosphere of the new record and growing the band and the producers and yeah. stuff that you work with? Great question. Um, solitude is lonely, too, and there's like a balance to things. So... Solitude was the it, like I remember thinking it was the happiest I'd probably ever been. Like right after finishing that record, I was like, "Wow, I feel so good. I feel so renewed. I feel so much a part of myself." 
Um, and then I was just really bored and really lonely. And also, like, the warmth of creating stuff with other people, I missed a lot. And so, and also, I had the, you know, like, after the first record, I had all this opportunity to start hiring people and flying them to my house. And, like, people like Rob Moose and these arrangers and these musicians and, like, I was just excited. I always hear, I always heard bigger sounds. And so I just like stepped right in and didn't really think about it too much. And I think through these four or four albums, it's certainly been like more and more, um, uh, adding more to the, the recipe and cooking longer and, and sculpting longer and all that stuff. And that, and, and like involving your, your friends and, you know, like this guy, Brad, who, uh, is the, probably the main producer on the album. We call we use the word producer, but really he was just there to keep me accountable as a human being. You know, like this is a guy that we that I was in North Carolina with, that we were in high school in a band together, um, and it just so happened I needed that kind of energy around to like keep me grounded and like ask, ask the hardest questions and all that stuff. Um, so it's a it's a pretty natural progression to to see that wanting more people and wanting and needing more people to be around and to be excited by. And it's so funny that right as I finished this album, like I, uh, I've started playing guitar again and I've started writing songs again and I don't want anybody around me. And so it's funny. It's just like, I feel like I'm starting over again in a very, very healthy way. Um, I don't, I want nobody around. I don't want even Brad around. I don't want even Chris Messina around who's like been in the room with me for the last seven or eight years um, and then sometimes that's hard like well I want them around because I love them and this has been great and it's like you gotta do what's right for, for you you know it's like they don't like Chris is losing his job it's just I need I need like three weeks where nobody talks to me and I just play guitar and I didn't need that or want that or but I might have needed it but I didn't I didn't ask for it before now and so it's it's always gonna change always going to change and like now I feel like I'm definitely in a this starting over period but it just yeah it is always going to change you're never going to know you can't you never get to a point in life like I don't believe in heaven or afterlife or anything so I'm like this is your only shot and it's always going to change and every day you need to ask yourself how you want to feel and you have to answer it as honestly as possible you know what I mean it's like that's kind of all you got and if I'm feeling like I want to be alone and play acoustic guitar and write a country song that day that's what I'm going to do Prior to making, you know, it's very much, I consider it my first album because it's kind of one of the only things, that's not true. It is, it is, it was my first album because it was my, it was my first time I felt like I'd broken through into being myself rather than being a whole, a sum of a bunch of derivative influences. Uh, but everything before that, I mean, I was, I was in eighth grade on like MIDI trying to like score the Legends of the Fall score for my <laughs> concert band. You know what I mean? Like I always like I, James. I always wanted to do film music. I was into jazz. I was into like deep, weird punk scenes, and and so everything about music just seemed to excite me. And so, like the second record is a very you can hear a lot of everything that happened in my life very much more of an encompassing record than that first record for who I was throughout my whole life and I try to get it all in there and I, and I it kind of weirdly flows as an album somehow even though it kind of stylistically gets sort of goes in some weird places and it starts with like a weird metal choral song or whatever and ends with like ladies you know like R&B horrible sounds you know and 
it's so that that that's sort of the answer to that. And then, um, it, yeah, it's just like everything you know, from from my life, like all the energies at once, kind of coming through as an album. Um, yeah, and, and then you know, very much not to keep the third the third of the twenty two million record was just like my album of not having any idea what I wanted, and the only thing that sounded good to me was shit that was really angry because I was really angry and I was really anxious. I was really alone and I was really scared and, and I didn't want to do it. And uh, another good friend, um, I'd honestly given up. I honestly was like not sure. I mean, there was like four years that we didn't do shit. So I actually have no idea how long it was, but um, I was working on it and I just didn't know how to finish it. I didn't have like the courage or the strength, honestly. And, and, I, and I, I just got done like having like making this album that was uh, my whole life and then I was like empty and then I was like oh this is my job I have to keep doing this and then it just took me forever to just like <laughs> that's what it felt like making that album you know fuck I have to do this I have to do this you know and and my friend came in my friend Ryan Olson and he he was just like fuck you like no 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 you do not get to give up you know like he, and he literally like carried me to the finish line and, you know this word producer I'm not sure about but we give him that title uh, but it, it's it's really just like making sure that the person is in the right spot really is what it mostly comes down to in my experience of course there's other times when you need like an actual producer uh, which he is an actual producer but I know I'm sort of going beyond what you're asking but it was such a big result of my whole life and influences that second album that it completely emptied the, the tanks. When you're in the process of that, I guess, like, solitude of making your album, like, you mm-hmm. mentioned, like, going to the cabin, mm-hmm. um, especially, I guess, like, that initial first expedition, if you will, um, what, like, how did you communicate that to people in your life? Um, have them respect your decision. You know, like, shut off, shut off them entirely, or just, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, it was called, well, this same Brad guy that I was talking about, we were in a band together, and we were at practice, we were in North Carolina, and we were, like, trying to record something, and, the, and he was, like, hooking a chain up to a piano, and it was, like, some avant-garde thing, and I was just, like, rolling my eyes or something, and he was, like, you want out? And it was, like, the, the hardest breakup I've ever been through. And we broke up that day because he asked me, and I was like, yeah, I do want to. Like, I'm not in this anymore with you guys. And it was so difficult. Uh, and so it was called not having a job, yet having no bandmates, and having no idea what I was going to do for money um, that got me to go up there and just, like, eat venison. Because that's, you know, I didn't, my dad was cool with it. He wasn't, he was trying to get me to do work, which I also didn't do. Um, but that, that's it. It was, it was like a kind of kind of just a come to Jesus situation where I just like had to go and to communicate I didn't have to communicate to anyone because there was nobody really left like I, I should like they, my bandmates like at that point we didn't talk for like a year which is kind of insane to think about because we're, we're best of friends um, but I didn't have anyone I, I didn't have anyone that I was responsible for you know I, I just left and I didn't really have anyone to talk to and that was really weird but it started to feel really good to not be responsible to anyone at a certain point because and 
And that's something that I started to lose the responsibility for myself and the loving myself and giving myself what I needed as an artist and as a human being. I, as I gathered more people in my life, I got really bad, lots worse than I ever had before at uh, giving myself what I needed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just kind of return to a place where I'm like learning to give myself what I need to be happy. Uh, because, you know, we got a lot of people that I love and care about. And sometimes you end up doing things for them before you do things for yourself. And that's not the way it, it's supposed to work. Uh, but yeah, I didn't communicate to anyone because there was nobody there. For you, what is it that like draws you into like nature? Because there's a difference between like just solitude and like solitude in nature. Mm-hmm. Specifically, like yep. what is it like, that you listen to that? Nature is bigger than us. That's a great remember. A great like a, a a great reminder that you're just like if you're worried about what you're doing and you're like God, what am I going to do? It's like you're working on a music song. <laughs> like you have you have you have food and a roof um, so nature's always just like a it's an easy easy reminder of like these trees are older than your ass you know like um, that that is like quite a literal thing but something else something else I thought of when you when you were asking is like there's so many there's so many things as we grow up even if you have like all the support in the world that you're, you're sort of meant, you feel like you're meant to follow these scripts. Excuse me. Um, or like, oh, this is how life's supposed to go. I'm supposed to, you know, find a job and then I'm get married and have kids and do this. And not that that's wrong. But so many times we, we end up, even if we're like thinkers and searchers and like rebels, we still end up, we still end up like following those scripts. And why I, I like nature and solitude and even solitude amongst friends is you can cut out the world because the world is not going to usually help you find yourself. It's usually just going to make you feel nervous about who you are over it. it, it, To me, at least for me, I'm very sensitive to that. And so I like, I like being able to extinguish the the noise. Um, It's it. You're able to, to find a quieter part of yourself. I think that way calmer if you're calm you can be yourself if you're not calm you're going to be like somebody else but as far as technology goes I, I was lucky enough you know I was recording other bands in, in middle school and high school I had a four track and then I got a Pro Tools rig and not rig just a DO one but just like, <laughs> like you know like and so you just you get better and all that stuff and so you just start learning about how it can it's like guitar is technology it really is like not to be weird, but it's it's that's technology. That's how that's like a tool you use to make something sound good to you. Um, and so over the years, you know, it's one of the like I could consider my partner, Chris Messina. He's not really a musician. He's not even didn't even come from the recording world. He's just always like figuring out how to put weird shit in front of me that sounds weird and, and different. And the discussion of how to discover something new is always happening. Um, and because he's not like some big shot recording engineer guy, that's why I like working with him uh, in that space because we're always finding something out together. Um, and we don't know, we're not like people that like know everything. Um, so we've ended up making some quite awesome discoveries by just experimenting. 
and like not having a vision. Because if you got a vision, you're not gonna try something that seems totally dumb. <laughs> you know, you have to try the dumb shit and uh, and not feel like it's in vain if you didn't get if you don't get something out of it. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking your time. That's a wrap for this episode of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White. My deepest thanks again to Justin Vernon of Bonavere, Josh Sundquist at Middle West Management, and my incredible engineer, Nathan Kane. I really hope you enjoyed the Chapter 1 episode, Get Your Art Together. Tune in next week where I interview the one and only Ariel Hyatt of Cyber PR, where we're going to dig in on Chapter 2, pre-recording marketing foundation, email list, text message club, and social media. I'm at mwizzle on social media. Hit me up if you have questions, comments, all that good stuff. And have a great day, night, wherever you are. And I'll catch you next week. Thanks again.